Uh, man, the house of God is full. It is so good to see you guys. Uh, I was praying for all of you um, because anytime I'm preaching, I want to make sure that God speaks to you. And so I was praying for you, and, I was, and every time I do that, I'm reminded of how much God loves us. Like I started thinking about, there's going to be over 400 people on our campus today. Who is the most excited about that? He is. He is the most excited about everyone showing up here and watching online. God has a word for us today, and he is going to speak to all of us, and um, it's just his nature. It's his nature. So I want to make sure that we are hearing, that we are in tune with what God is saying. So at any point as I'm preaching, God begins speaking, just tune me out and tune him in. That's, that's the whole point. Of coming to church. And um, so I want to thank you guys for coming, for coming hungry and ready to hear God's word, uh, because that's what today is all about hearing, ears to hear what God has to say. So let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll get right into it. Father, we thank you for this awesome opportunity to come into your house and to hear from you. Lord, we honor you. Uh, We give you um, permission to move in our hearts and our minds and to lead us and to direct us wherever you want us to go, Father. Ultimately, it's your will where there's life and strength, and we want to find that this morning. So, Father, in Jesus' name, teach us and lead us throughout your word today. In Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. 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 I'm going to read to you guys from the Gospel of Luke. Um, Jesus traveled a lot, and he spoke to a lot of crowds. And anytime you, as a communicator, you you got to know your audience, right? Like you got to know your group. Like I'm a children's pastor, so they're all God. All of God's word is 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 valuable and and amazing, but not every verse do I share over there. Right? There's some verses that, I, yeah, we're not going to talk about that one. Um, but you got to know your audience as a communicator. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus approaches this crowd. And he sees the crowd, he reads the crowd, and he begins to speak to the crowd. It says in Luke in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak. So they were there in the thousands. They were hungry to the point they're trying to get over, trying to get into the front row. Because the people who are the hungriest are in the front row. So good job, front row people. Um, You're going to hear what God has to say. And so Jesus analyzed and saw the energy in the crowd. And he said, okay, I'm going to go for it. And he begins to teach on some of the deepest theological stuff in all of the Gospels. And I'm just going to read some of that to you. He, he said, he began speaking to the disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he hits hypocrisy in the church head on. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Wow, that's pretty, pretty amazing. I don't know what all that means. Verse 4, he, then he shifts gears. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but after that do, can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He has their attention. 
He, oh, what's he talking about now? Okay, got to listen. And then he tempers it with, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You are worth more than many sparrows. And then he shifts gears again. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will also be disowned before the angels of God and everyone. And then he shifts gears again. So disowning Jesus is bad. Then he shifts gears to something else. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The unforgivable sin. Heavy stuff. And then he shifts gears again. Chris is loving it. He's like, I get all this. I love this deep theological stuff. Verse 11, he says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about what you will, how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you will say. So Jesus hits these huge topics because the crowd is ready. The crowd is hungry to hear what he has to say. So he just gives it to them. He gives them the meat. Like, forget the appetizers. We're going straight to the meat, the unforgivable sin, the hypocrisy in the, in the church at that time. He hits it head on. Sometimes when I read the word of God, I'm so encouraged. Isn't it good to know that I'm worth more than a bird? Right? But then sometimes I'm convicted. Like, I got to make sure I don't disown Jesus. I want to make sure I never do that because there was that one time I was kind of on the fence. I want to make sure I don't do that. But then there are times when I read the word of God and it's just entertaining. I'm just entertained by what I'm reading. And verse 13 is one of those moments. After Jesus has delivered some of the deepest theological teaching yet in the, in the Gospels, somebody speaks up. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance. He's not sharing with me. <laughs> to which I'm sure a few people in the audience were like, Have you been hearing anything he's been saying? What are you listening to? How did you go from what he's saying to what you just said? And it is so true how we can be in the presence of God, hearing the words of Jesus and miss it. See, this guy, he was distracted by the desires in his own heart. Which illustrates a scary truth. You can be in the right place, hear the right words, and get the wrong message. This happens to me all the time next door. <laughs> I'm preaching the word of God. The room is still, which means God is there. Because that doesn't happen on its own. I recognize that. I'm like, okay, God is here. I'm preaching truth. It's good. And there's this one kid 
He's got his hand up. And it's not just, I kind of hope he sees me, but he, he wants to be seen. And I don't usually call on kids, and so I just kind of ignore it for a minute. I keep going. His hand is up. He's looking at me. He's like looking right at me. Like, I'm like, so I get to the point, I'm like, okay, this guy's get it. He's getting it. He understands what I'm saying, and, and I'm going to give him a chance to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel to the rest of us. So I'm like, hey, what do you want to say? And he's like, how much longer are you going to be talking? <laughs> he missed it. There was some good stuff coming out, and he missed it because he was so focused on, I don't know, goldfish maybe. I don't know. Sometimes goldfish can be a stumbling block. But this guy shows us a scary truth that I want to look at today. Like, how did he miss it? And Jesus responds to the man. At first he says, man, who am I? Why am I? Why are you bringing me into this? And then he goes, and the rest of Luke chapter 12 stays on one topic. For the rest, this guy shifted the topic for the rest of the chapter. And Jesus says to him, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus, watch out. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And Jesus is all kinds of greed. He warns the people, all kinds of greed. Now, what is greed? Greed is simply an unhealthy wanting of something. It's okay to want things. Like, have you seen that new Corvette? I want one. I do. But I'm not going to upset my financial peace to get one, right? It's not an unhealthy wanting of something, so I'm not greedy. But for this guy who heard all that Jesus was saying, but he was focused on something else, there was some greed and unhealthy wanting going on in his heart. And so this idea of unhealthy um, wanting gets in the way of us hearing what God has to say. If they become obstacles to hearing what God wants. And so we're going to talk about what, that, what those things look like. Now, what are the things we want in life? We can just eliminate the stuff and the bling and all that stuff, but there are some things that we all want, and they're good to want, like acceptance, friendship, love. But there's an unhealthy wanting we got to be careful of. And once we step into that unhealthy wanting, we step into the all kinds of greed that Jesus is saying, watch out, be on your guard against. Now, in every story, every parable, uh, when it comes to studying the Bible, you always need to find two characters, at least two. Sometimes there's three, but at least two. The first character is God, and the second character is you. So in this story, who is God? It's easy. Jesus. Who are you? Or who am I? 
in this story? Well, in this story, I'd be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy who sits in the, in the place of hearing God's voice and missing it. I don't want to be that guy that's right where I need to be, but I'm so distracted by my own desires that I miss what he's saying. So this morning, I want to look at two obstacles that get in the way of us hearing God's voice. And they're quite simply fear and envy. Fear and envy. And, and there are obviously other obstacles, but I feel like fear and envy are the most prevalent things that we all deal with. I would even go as far as calling them the small foxes that spoil the vine that King Solomon referenced. Now, I understand there's some deep-seated fears and there's some deep issues with envy, but I think all of us at some level deal with fear and envy. And so we want to look at those today uh, because it's the small things over time that reap the most destruction. And so Jesus shifts the entire sermon because of this guy missing what he's saying. And then in verse 16, he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain man produced good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for yourself Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all that you prepared for yourself? See, this guy was not in tune with what God was saying. If he had been in tune with what God was saying, the parable would have been different. But when we're not in tune with God, we tend to think more about I than anything else. And then Jesus ends the parable with, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. How do you become rich towards God? Everything he says, you receive. And you put into practice, and you begin doing, and you begin to bear fruit. That's how you become rich towards God. You take what he gives you. And then Jesus goes on, to continue to talk about how we can guard ourselves against all kinds of greed. Verse 22, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the raven. They don't sow or reap or store in barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you? Who of you worrying can add a single hour to his life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like them. Are you not more valuable than the fields? Oh, you of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. And Jesus answers by saying, final answer is, 
Seek God's kingdom. And all these other things will be added unto you. You don't have to worry, which is a form of fear. You don't have to worry about getting these things because God knows you need them. You don't have to run after them like everybody else does because God knows you need them. Now, earlier, Jesus told the guy, be on your guard. Watch out. By saying those two things, he, he implied two different things. The thought, watch out, is what you say to someone when something's coming right now. Like the ball's on its way to your head. Watch out. It's happening now. But then he says, be on your guard, which implies, get ready. Something's on its way. So which one is it? Is it happening now or is it happening later? Yes. The thoughts of fear and envy, they're always popping up. They're always coming up. They're always in our minds, and they're always in our ears. We're always distracted by, how am I going to get this done? Or what am I, how, when's this going to get fixed? And how am I going to do this? And, and how am I going to pay that? And, and oh, look at what they have. And it just, it's just something. It's a small fox that gets in the way, that becomes the static of life to the point that we can't hear what God is saying. Jesus' response to the guy who completely missed it was this. If you can stop worrying about not getting what you need and stop envying what your brother has, if you can eliminate those distractions, then you will be able to hear what I'm actually saying. And I had this thought after reading Jesus' statements of do not worry about this, do not worry about that. What would my life look like if I took the time that I spend worrying about all that stuff, the time I spend envying. I don't like calling it envying. like admiring other people's things. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. That sounds better, right? If I just took that time and I just stopped doing it, what would I be doing? How would I spend that time? And I felt like the Lord told me, you will live. You will live fully in the moment that you're in. There's an amazing verse in Corinthians that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if we want to experience that freedom, we have to be where the spirit of the Lord is. And the spirit of the Lord is not in our past. and He's not in our future. He's right now. He's speaking to us right now. And if we want to experience the freedom, we need to be able to hear what he's saying. Now, Jesus stays on this topic for the rest of Luke chapter 12, and I encourage you to be a great devotional for you this week. But I want to go to Psalm 37 and give you guys some tools. Some tools that I don't want to say they're simple, because anything worth having takes work. But they're tools that we can use to begin guarding ourselves against all kinds of greed and begin using those tools to remove the obstacles um, from our lives. Now, the first action step is the most difficult. Just say that up front. But in the same way, it's also the most fruitful. And it's the most difficult because, well, you know, I'll just read it and you guys will figure it out. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still and wait. 
You guys know why that's difficult? Yeah, we all do. It's difficult. It's difficult to choose to stop what we're doing. It's difficult to wait when we have a pretty good idea of what we could be doing. But there is so much fruit when we are still and waiting for God. We find it difficult. One of the things makes it difficult is the fact we're so busy. We're just, is anybody busy? Wait, is anybody not busy? See, I've gotten to the point in life where I just stop saying I'm busy because it's nebulous. It's like we're all busy. When someone comes and says, oh, I'm just so busy. It's like, okay. We're all busy. It's like saying, I breathe oxygen. Yeah, we all breathe oxygen. It's, no, it's not an excuse anymore. We're all busy. But the reason we're busy, it's more of a cultural thing. It's more of a cultural thing, which means we're technically not really supposed to live this way. We're busy because we're driven. We're driven people. As Americans, we are driven. We get things done. We don't let obstacles get in our way. No matter what, we're getting the job done. And that's unique to our culture. And I learned this by going to another culture. You learn a lot about yourself when you're around people who are not like yourself. I spent some years in Africa and a tiny nation called Swaziland, and I was around a lot of people who are not like myself. And I learned I'm pretty driven. I'm more driven than most of the people I'm surrounded by. In Swaziland, it's actually disrespectful to eat standing up. You're supposed to sit down and eat at the table. One day I was traveling into town to go do some shopping, and it's about an hour and a half away from where we lived, and there was this lady with me. She was from England, and we were leaving the store, and I grabbed a cup of coffee, and I put a top on it, and I noticed it didn't have a hole in it to to drink from. So I get in my car. I'm driving, and I'm like fiddling with the top, like, like literally ripping a hole so I can drink the coffee. And this woman um, sitting next to me kind of looks at me like, kind of like confused. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I, I, there's not a hole in this cup, so I got to make a hole so I can drink it. You're drinking it now? I'm like, it's an hour and a half. I'm not going to let the cup sit. She said, but you don't drink coffee when you're rushing about. And I just looked at her. Drink my coffee? (laughs) Yes, I do. And it dawned on me as an English person, tea time, that's what you do to relax. You, You use that time as a break from what you're doing. And she was just shocked that, what are you, you can't do this now. Other ways I, I realize that I'm pretty driven is when some, some of the local guys were talking about some of the issues or the struggles they were having, and so we would, um, they would tell me the problem, and, I, and I'd think, okay, I got it. This is what we're going to do, and I'd just rattle off the plan. 
And they just looked at me. My first few months, I thought this was the look of, we have heard from God. This missionary has spoken the words of life to us. But after a few months over there, I realized what that look was actually saying was, yeah, that'll never work. But he looks so confident, we don't know how to tell him. See, we get so driven and we forget some details. And yes, being driven produces some things in our life, but it also costs us some things. And when we get so driven, it exasperates the fear and envy we all struggle with. And so when we choose to be still and wait, we're actually speaking to that driven nature. No, we're not going to hash this out until um, we figure it out. We're going to stop and we're going to wait for the Lord to give us an answer. Now, this is the first step of, of four steps, and it's the most important. It's kind of like if, a, if you're a carpenter, you have tools, and you have a bag that all the tools go in. Psalm 37.7 is the bag. It's the bag that all the other tools work within. If you, if you don't master the being still and waiting, or maybe I shouldn't say master. If you, just, if you don't choose to do it, you're going to miss what God has for you. God has placed a lot of value on those who wait. Other scripture says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We, we want to run through that valley. We want to get through as fast as possible. Come on, God, let's go. And what does God do? He prepares a table so that you have to wait in that valley, in that mess, because he has something for you, but you're only going to get it if you wait. Be still and wait for the Lord. So the second step is establish trust. Establish trust. Psalm 37.3 says, trust in the Lord and do good and you will enjoy safe pasture. If you find yourself dealing with the small foxes of fear and envy, you have to ask yourself, what am I trusting in right now? If I'm concerned about a need not being met, who am I trusting in? And by asking that question... You realign your trust. Because if your trust is in Christ, you're on the rock, you're steady, you're stable, you're at peace, you're confident. But if you're trusting in yourself, you need to worry. Because you're not trustworthy. I'm not trustworthy. And when I find myself fearing and envying, I find myself trusting not in Christ, not in God's plan, not in God's word, but on my own plans, in my own desires, in my own hopes and dreams. So by establishing trust, you ask yourself, what am I trusting in? And then you reestablish your trust in God. The first time I ever stood on a stage and spoke, I learned the value of trust. 
I, wouldn't, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't really know what this thing was that we do up here. And um, I was going to this small church, and I told the pastor one day, I was like, hey, I feel like I want to do what you do, like up there on Sundays. He's like, you mean preach? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. He's like, okay, you got Wednesday. Whoa. Okay. All right. Good deal. I was, I was young, man. I was so excited. I had no idea what I was doing. But I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I went home, and I'm like, all right, God, I'm preaching Wednesday. What do you want to talk about? And I heard God say, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. What do you want to talk about? Do you trust me? Yes. But what do you want me to say? Do you trust me? And it, it took me a little bit longer, but I realized, oh, I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. Okay, okay. Fair enough. So I went to bed, woke up the next day, opened my Bible up. God, what do you want to talk about? Do you trust me? Yeah, I do. I do trust you very much. Okay, stop asking. So two days later, God, what do you want to talk about? Do you trust me? <laughs> yes, I trust you, but I really need to know what you want to talk about. Do you trust? Stop saying that. And I just, I got, I got a little, a little frustrated, exasperated with the Lord. But he was teaching me. He was teaching me something. And so... Wednesday shows up, I'm at work, and same routine, God, what are you talking about? Do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. Okay, I'm not asking anymore. I get a phone call. Now, I haven't always been a children's pastor. I haven't always been a missionary. I haven't even always been a Christian. So, I get a phone call from my probation officer. <laughs> she says... What are you doing this afternoon? I'd like to meet with you, which is not what you want to hear from your probation officer. And I said, well, I'm going to church. I'm going to church tonight. I'm actually speaking at church. I'm giving her a good reason not to arrest me today. I'm going to church and I'm speaking. She's like, okay, what time does church start? Six. I lied to her. Started at 6.30, but I thought... She's going to arrest me. I don't want everybody to see it, so I'll do it at 6. <laughs> so I show up. I'm early, which I'm not normally early um, unless I'm getting arrested. And then, <laughs> so then I'm standing at the door of the church, and she pulls in, and there's no cop car behind her, which is good news, which is a good thing. And um, she walks up to me, and she hands me an envelope. And in that envelope, she said, I approached the judge on your behalf, and we got early termination of your probation, like eight months early. Yeah, it was amazing. And the thing about that church that I was at, my parents went to that church. And so when I finally walked through those doors, they all knew who I was. They knew me by name. They knew where I had been. They knew what I had done. They had been praying for me. So when I walked in with that letter, they all knew what it meant. They all rejoiced with me. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that letter affected the message? 
It absolutely did. It affected the entire room. We were all excited. Just prior to the, the probation officer meeting with me, I, I, I went to the pastor and I said, hey, listen, I don't know what I'm talking about today. God has not given me anything. And he said, well, did he give you a verse? And I said, well, yeah, I got a verse, but I don't know what I'm going to say. He's like, that's all you need. And I said, okay. So I want to show you the verse that I had. It was a story of King David. King David had messed up, made a mistake. He had to sacrifice, make a sacrifice to the Lord to make it right. So he goes to the threshing floor, this guy named Aranah, and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to buy all your stuff. I need to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Aranah is a good man. He's like, king, I'm not going to charge you a thing. It's yours. You take it. And David said this, and this was the verse. He says, no, I must pay for it. I refuse to offer the Lord something that's cost me nothing. When you trust, that's like an expense. When God calls you to do something, it will cost you something. And that initial cost is always trust. That's where it always begins. What it will cost you to be still and wait in the midst of wanting to run ahead and sort it out on your own or in the midst of uncertainty, when you trust in those moments, it becomes a currency with God. God sees that, and he's pleased by your trust. He sees your willingness to spend yourself in the moment. He sees it as trust. And when you trust in the Lord, you will enjoy safe pasture. So established trust is the second step of making sure that fear and envy obstacles are removed from hearing The third step is desire God to be involved. And this comes from Psalm 37.5, no, 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a great verse. This is a really cool verse to preach. Man, just love the Lord your God and he'll bless you. Just enjoy worship and delight yourself in his presence and all things will be good. But what does it actually mean to delight yourself in the Lord? It's easy to say, but what does it mean? This verse came up during prayer, and I was praying that we would delight ourselves in the Lord. And I asked the Lord, how do I, how do I pray for people to delight in you? Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? And this is what the Lord told me. He says, Invite me to be a part. Invite me to be a part of what you're doing. See, sometimes we read that, that phrase, delight yourself in the Lord, and we pigeonhole it into reading the Bible, going to church, and worshiping. Like, these are the three things you must delight in and nothing else to get this. And while I delight myself in reading God's word. I love reading God's word. I love coming to church. I love worshiping. I love all of it. But it's so much bigger than that. Like, what do you enjoy doing? Invite God to be a part of it. Invite God to be a part of what you're doing. 
And then you will discover he's a delight to be around. Like, I love to build things. I, it's kind of therapeutic. You know, give me a sharp saw and some wood, and I can tell it what to do. Like, total control. I like that. But I also know Jesus was a carpenter. So many times when I'm working on a project, I'm like, God, come join me. I really need your help. And I, and I ask for wisdom. I ask for guidance. He's a part of the process. And there are times, and if, and if you've ever built anything, you, you'll, you'll know what I mean, when you have to put some screws in the board, and so you reach in your pouch, grab a handful of screws, and you start installing, and then there's one hole left, and there's one screw left. For me, that's God. God did that. That shows me God's with me. He's a part of this. The anointing is heavy in my life. It's a small thing, but I delight in knowing God's a part. And I thank God for that one screw and that one hole. He's a part of what I'm doing. So invite God to be a part. Delight, delighting yourself in the Lord, it's a DIY project. You have to do it yourself. It's up to you to invite the Lord to be a part of it. And when you do, you discover He's a delight to be around. You just simply give him a chance. We sang, we want to see your goodness. Give him a chance to show you. God, come be a part of this plan. Be a part of this job. Be a part of this project. Be a part of this conversation. And you'll find he's a joy to be around. Now, the last part of that verse says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is a really big promise. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Like, if I was God, I'm not sure if I would put that in there. But he did. And many times I've, I've done this, and I've heard people praying for other people. God, just give them the desires of their heart. Give them that job. Give them that, that, that thing or that person or, or whatever it is. And I just, I don't know if that applies to temporary things. The desires of your heart. Because you know what? Ultimately, all of our desires are the same. You know what we all desire? Happiness. We desire to be happy. Now, for the Bible scholars, happiness means peace, joy, confidence, wisdom, strength. All the things that God provides create happiness in us. And ultimately, that's what our desires are. And God says, if you delight in me, I'm going to give you the desire to be happy. I'm going to give you the desire and to enjoy the life that you have. I'm going to give you the ability to enjoy every single moment. The fourth step. This is the last step. As we're dealing with the fear and the envy thoughts that just are running constantly through our heads, sometimes we have to verbally and specifically commit our plans to the Lord. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. What does it mean to commit your ways to the Lord. This is so much more than just lip service. 
when you do what the word of God says, you get God in your life. You get the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding that you need. You do your part. There's a verse in Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I love this verse. This verse gives me so much freedom because many are the plans in my heart. Sometimes we look at that as like many are the plans, like, but then God has his plan. As if God just removes all our plans and this is the plan. It's, it's fruitless to go by your plans. That's not how I read it. We were designed to think, to plan, to build, to do. Many are the plans in our hearts. But it's the Lord that points out the right one. So this is, for me, this is how I walk this out. This is just something practical um, for me. It says, I say, um, you know, sometimes you have a plan or an idea, and sometimes they're, they're good and they stick with you for a while. Sometimes the bad ones just kind of disappear. Well, the ones that kind of stick with me, the plans or the, the hopes or the dreams, those the ones that kind of stick around a while, those are the ones I talk to God about. And I say, God, this is what I'm thinking. This is my plan. What do you think? And I'm still, and I'm waiting in the context of that plan. And over the next couple of days, that I'll either get wisdom why it's not a good idea, or I'll get some insight on how to move forward with that idea. And then I'll go back to God and say, God, I feel like you're pointing me in this direction. Now, I haven't heard the voice of God. I haven't found a scripture that says go. I'm just walking by faith. Say, God, I feel like you're pointing me in this direction, so I'm moving in this direction. And if I'm off, tell me. If I'm wrong, tell me. But I'm moving in this direction, so take a step. That worked. Take another step. And as long as the bottom doesn't fall out beneath me, I keep moving. Proverbs 16, 9 says, in their, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. See, when you commit your ways to the Lord, you're like, God, this is my plan. What do you think? God, this is where I think I'm headed. Show me how to walk it out. In other words, God, I'm committing this to you. I'm not married to it. I'm not sold on it. If it's good, it's good. If it's not, I'm done with it. I'm committing it to the Lord, and then I walk it out. So it's good to just kind of say, God, I commit all of my ways, but sometimes you got to be specific. Sometimes you got to verbally say it out loud in prayer. God, this is what I... This is what I want to do. This is the plan that's in my heart. What do you think? And then once you get a little confirmation, all right, I'm moving forward by faith. And just keep walking out. And before you know it, you're experiencing what God has for you. You're experiencing his purpose as it prevails. 
If we don't want to be that guy who missed what Jesus was saying, we've got to be on our, we have to watch out. We have to be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Everything that causes us to fear or envy reveals areas where we are unhealthily wanting something. I'm not sure if that's a word, but it is now. It reveals something that's unhealthy. And the tools that we share today are tools that will help you put those things where they need to be, out of our way. Because ultimately, we want to be a people that hears God's voice and do what God says to do. Like, we don't even care what God says. We'll do it. Like, we're committed to doing whatever it is before we hear it, but we just need to hear it in order to do it. So hearing becomes critical. But there are some things that block. And fear and envy are those things. And these steps, very simple, practical steps, can help us remove those small obstacles. I want to close this morning with one verse from Luke 12. Luke 12, 32, Jesus is speaking. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't you love that? Your father's pleased to give you the kingdom. He's pleased to give it to you. So we don't have to get all worked up like, oh, I, just, I hope I do the right thing. I want to stay in God's will. He's pleased to give it to you. All we have to do is do our part. Trust in the Lord and do good. Invite him to be a part and delight ourselves in him and commit our ways. Sometimes I commit my ways and I realize that's wrong. I keep moving. I get on the right track. God is pleased to give you the kingdom. He wants you to have it.